Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum, and we are cleared hot today. My brother Brian is coming on. He's got an amazing book we're going to talk about. I can't wait to talk about this book. He's done it all. I mean, Army, Air Force, a top-rated book. I mean, he's been awarded the, the, the bronze, right? Correct? Yeah, bronze star. Yep. The and if, star you have so many, like 14 different awards that you've gotten. But the best thing is, I think, is your heart. So, guys, we're going to be talking about post-traumatic stress disorder or maybe, just maybe, post-traumatic growth. And I believe in post-traumatic growth instead of it being a disorder. So, Brian, welcome to the show, brother. How are you doing today? I am doing amazing. I really appreciate you having me on, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you and everybody listening today. I love it. Um, like I said, I this book has been amazing. Uh, when I first got the book, and I the first I picked up, and the first chapter, it reminded me of the movie Rambo, where he was in he was in the middle of the, he was in the in the helicopter, and he had and he had his AT4 or whatever he had. Oh um, yeah get me right into the helicopter so i definitely want to talk about that so give us a quick down and dirty on who you are where you come from and where you're at today well as you started to allude to i do have a little bit of occupational add um i i was enlisted for seven years in the army then i commissioned and ended up flying the apache um went on a 23 month deployment which is what uh which is what this this chronicles, right? This book chronicles that deployment. Now, not all 23 months was in Afghanistan. I have to caveat with that, but a little bit over a year of it was, and, uh, and just had some crazy experiences, you know, why things happen to us. We don't always know, but I knew that there was, there was a benefit from there somehow. And, and I ended up having a desire to share those because there's so many lessons that I learned from it that I was realizing that, you know, it's kind of selfish to keep that to myself. And then I transitioned over to the Air Force where I currently, I'm still active duty, despite the couple days growth here, um, flying combat search and rescue. But I, my papers drop in March. So that that tunnel has a light that's at the end of it. And it's actually a pretty big light. So uh, this is my passion going forward as I really want to get out there. And I, I agree, post-traumatic stress growth. Let's focus on that because Yes, we can get damage from these things. They have that that potential, but they also have potential to make us bigger, badder individuals. All right, so let's go back real quick because um, I love to hear everybody's recruiting story. I'm sure you just didn't walk into the recruiting office and be like, "All right, I want to be Apache helicopter pilot." I'm oh, sure that's that actually exactly what I did. Um, <laughs> really? No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, kind of. I, like I, I, I knew I wanted to fly. Um, and then uh, I didn't know it was going to be an Apache, and I didn't, I didn't know the difference between the Apache and the Blackhawk and all those things at that point in time, right? I just knew that helicopters were pretty cool. Um, and then I, I enlisted with the intent to commission later. Anyway, somebody had had described to me the simultaneous membership program, which is where you enlist in the reserves. You get the benefits from being enlisted with the GI Bill and all those kind of things. But then you also can apply for an ROTC scholarship, which I did. Honestly, I tell people this all the time. It's the only way to get your time in college that I know of to get your time in college to actually count towards your retirement. Um, you can actually go to West Point and that time won't count the same way, which is kind of messed up. But 
but there's here's there's the way you can do it. And so as I was in ROTC, we did get an incentive ride in the Blackhawk, and I said, "Yep, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I totally want to do." And there was a guard unit that had Apaches that was there in Utah. I went to school at Utah State, um, played football for Utah State. Well, I practiced. I wasn't good enough to play on the starting, but I I was uh, I was doing that simultaneously with the Army ROTC, and um, and the rest, you know, the rest is history. I, I just kind of went along and ended up flying that thing and, and was made for it. I honestly flew the Apache naturally better than I've flown anything else. And I've flown several other airframes as well, but that one seemed to fit me like a glove, if you will. Well, I, for me, like when I read your first chapter, I actually felt like I was sitting next to you, especially when the bullets start flying and you, and you start getting riddled with bullet holes. Um, I felt like I was sitting literally right next to you so you know talk to us about your first foray into going into afghanistan as a as a as a uh, a pilot that must have been a lot different than being stateside right well yeah and i'd never so i didn't deploy even as an enlisted guy for the seven years i was enlisted i'd never been deployed and so my very first deployment was as a, a new pilot if you will um i was part of the advent party going into um, Afghanistan, which means it was me and two other sergeants were first guys from our unit to actually step out of a plane with our helicopters. And C-17 was carrying three of them packed in there like sardines and, you know, with the blades folded and everything. And so, yeah, that's actually an interesting story. I, I didn't know what to expect. At the time, it was all Iraq, 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 Iraq. We thought we got B-team stuff when we got went to Afghanistan. We're like, oh man, JV squad going out. And, and we just thought we we're going to fly around and and escort, you know, uh, other aircraft, but uh, we were wrong. <laughs> there, there's a lot of stuff going on in Afghanistan, and, and that we we were that just wasn't being on the put on the news at the time. And a lot of that stuff has made the news since, um, but at the time it, it wasn't there. So when we got into Afghanistan, it was early morning. Sun had just barely started to come up over the mountains, and the first thing that stood out to me when the clamshell on the back of a C-17 started to open was that it didn't stink. Um, I just assumed that war would have this like odor, you know, now if I'd have landed in Kandahar, those that have been in Kandahar, there would have been a really bad odor, but that, but as it, as it happened, I was in Bagram and it smelled like mountain fresh air, you know, and, and that kind of, that was kind of a eye opener for me. And as, as the, the clamshell continued to open, I saw the mountains, right. And snow covered beautiful mountains. And Really, I go into that when I tell tell people this story, I go into the building of perspective because there even in the midst of ugly, there's always beauty and and beauty honestly is the permanent piece of it. So when we're flying over those those mountains, I'm looking at them going, man, I could snowboard there. I could do these these, these things. That's beautiful. And then you get called into the ugly, right? which we often do in our lives. We get called into the ugly and I call that being, being engulfed in the gunfight because when we get called down for a troops in contact, the guys immediately call for help. And of course we're energized to do that because that's what our job is. And they're taking fire, their heads down, their head, they're looking down and they're or forward right in front of them. They call, uh, some guys call it front sight focused, right? That's, that's all their focus is, is, is that gunfight. And for them, that's their world. That is their world and reality at the moment. And and often in our lives, we get in our own gunfights 
and we're front sight focused and that's our whole world and our reality we don't see that that we still have those mountains right those mountains didn't go anywhere like when i'm when we start engaging we get in a gunfight with these guys and we're sitting there we're punching and we're we're focused on something that's going to go away we're focused on something that's that's finite it will it will pass right we might have scars from it both mentally and physically depending on how the depending how it plays out but but it's finite that in that instant that 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 uh that situation is temporary but those mountains are not they're forever um and their beauty doesn't go away in the middle of our ugliness in the middle of everybody else's gunfights that are here like you know metaphorically speaking or real gunfights um the beauty doesn't change it's still there that's the eternal that's the infinite and that the, the key is how do you how do you keep that perspective in the back of your head when you're in the middle of a gunfight and that's what we're kind of trying to teach people to do is create those kind of habit patterns that when you're really front sight focused sometimes you need to be at the moment but as soon as that moment passes you go right back to the the higher perspective and and know that that is not your world that was something you were passing through that was something you were dealing with that was something you were engaging with purpose and you have that higher purpose and that higher perspective that's always there didn't go anywhere all right so now let me ask you a question because when uh one of my first guests i ever had on the show was mr john lee dumas uh, we all know john as far as one of the top podcasters in the world but a lot of people don't realize that he was a tank commander in iraq and that he actually lost he actually lost a tank crew um and something i asked you know i asked him and i'm gonna ask you um because i was a i was a tanker at one time um a lot of times when we go into battle you know we can see who we're shooting at we can see a face we can see a figure and a lot of times that's something that we take with us um you know that that trauma that we take with us you know because we know we took another life but what is it like if you take you know you take out a vehicle and you don't see the people inside it is there is it is it different or do you still feel the same things you know that's a really good question I, i've done both right the, the job that, that i've that i had um and you know they're both impactful they're both impactful i would i would say one's a little bit more pensive like so when you start to talk about taking out buildings and you start to take to, uh, vehicles or, or or there's there's also this unknown right that accompanies it especially with like a building or something like that and, and and especially in the fight that we were fighting we know that these these guys fought with their families so they had their kids around they had their their wives around and sometimes their kids and wives are participating um so when you blow up a building i mean here, here's the here's the i'll just say it i know i killed kids I know that happened, right? Did I see it? Uh, no, thank goodness. But I know I did. And and to me, for some reason, the way that we are wired as Americans, that's more powerful to me than when I blew up people, men, fighting men with guns pointed at me that I saw, that I saw that happen. I didn't see the kids personally um, because I just know that, that happened i'm sure it happened and then now that i fly combat search and rescue and i came over and we did casualty evacuation we would land sometimes and people think we're just picking up americans that's not true um we pick up 
we even pick up enemy wounded, which is really tough to do because I'm just, you know, at the time I was like, throw them out, you know, that I don't want to deal with these guys. Right. But we also pick up collateral damage kids with shrapnels or their legs blown off. And sometimes it would say due to an Apache engagement or when we went to go pick those up. Now that circle has been completed for me. I didn't see the actual kids that I affected, but I know that that happened. Um, and, and it is powerful. So to answer your question, I, I think they're both powerful in different ways. One, you have to think about a little bit more. Like if you just keep it as a building or as a truck and desensitize yourself with that, I think you can do that for a while, but eventually it's going to click. Eventually you're going to go, yeah, but there was somebody driving that vehicle and there were other people in that vehicle who, how many people were in that vehicle, you know? Uh, so eventually that, that thought process will, will the tumblers will align. Well, the only reason I, I asked that question is because um, now, like I said, I think we're on like episode 530. Um, and a, a lot of the people that I've talked to, veterans, female and male, or even first responders, you know, we see stuff that we should never see. And once it gets seen, it can't get unseen. And a lot of us, when we come back and we're away from, you know, we're out of the military or about to get out, all we are left with is our memories, sometimes a loaded pistol and a bottle of whiskey. And a lot of, I think if we can learn how I, cause I actually teach a course on the three pillars of forgiveness. And the biggest one is we have to forgive ourselves for stuff that we've done in the past. And I think that a lot of veterans and, and first responders don't really get to that point where they forgive themselves for what happened. And they deal with a lot of that grief. And they also deal with a lot, you know, a lot of that um, people that they left over there that didn't come home. They, they still hold on to that. They carry on to that. You know what I mean? I do. I do. In fact, so in the book, we, we, we come up with seven principles of things that will help you like be more resilient, you know, uh, and, and, and be able to file these type of events away in a way that they are foundational rather than disruptive. And one of those uh, things is one of those principles is as simple as don't harbor hate. And it's easy to assume that I'm saying don't harbor hate for the enemy, which I am. I mean that, too, because that will that's a knife that stabs both ways. It, I mean, if you're hate hating that enemy, it's also stabbing you. But that don't harbor hate means don't hate yourself either. I mean, you we anybody who's called into that service understood at some point they might have to do something ugly. But just because we have to be part of the ugly or be in the ugly doesn't mean we are ugly ourselves, right? That ugly does not have to be within us. In fact, the opposite. We're willing to go into that ugly and take on that ugly for those that that aren't. Does that make you ugly? You know, that, that makes you the opposite of ugly. But we take that ugly on. A lot of guys do. Like, I did this. Well, you did that so somebody else wouldn't have to because it had to be done, right? You did that because you stepped up. That is not an ugly person, my friend. That is a person who has the fortitude that many don't, and that's why you're there. So I always say that trauma is powerful. It is powerful. That's why we have PTSD, 
But what we're talking about is PTSG growth, right? Power is power. Where you put it is up to you. Now, what I mean by that is, like you're saying, when guys deal with this stuff the wrong way and they hold hate, they don't forgive themselves or they don't forgive the enemy or they don't forgive whatever. That's one of the principles we talk about. There's several, but that's one. Now that power is a millstone hanging on your neck. It is weight that you are carrying and is and it's powerful. So it can drag you down all the way to that bottle that you're talking about, all the way to that pistol that you're talking about. That's how powerful it is. It can actually cause action on us to take our own life. That That's powerful. But the good news is that's powerful. I mean, if you turn it in the right direction, if you turn that weight, keep the same weight, make it foundational, make it a cornerstone to a better version of yourself, right? Now that's easier said than done. That's a process that you have to do, but it is very possible. It is very possible because you have an experience that not very many people have. It's an intense experience. And right now it may be weighing you down, but that intense experience can also build you up. It can be foundational. It doesn't have to be an obstacle. Obstacles are really opportunities, just very cleverly disguised. And you know, that, wow, I, 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 I love that. And I'm actually reading a book on, um, on talking about how, how your obstacles, you know, there's what's going to help you get to where you want to go, being able to get through over under uh, those obstacles. But you know, one thing I love that you talk about is you know, we have the power. And for me, like my, 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 my tagline on the show is um, today. I decide, I decide whether, cause I'm a big Joel Osteen guy. I don't know anybody is or isn't um, that, you know, I can either be the victim or I can be the victor. I get to choose. I get to choose. I take the power back. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I love that you talk about, you know, uh, about taking your power to turning your mess into your message. And I, and I absolutely love that. So uh, how many years did you do? Well, you're still in. Uh, so what make, cause most people won't write a book until after they're out. Cause they don't want to catch a lot of shit while they're in. Um, cause I'm going to, there's some Navy SEAL guy. I'm not going to mention his name. He wrote a book and he's a total asshole. Um, but he kind of, you know, every shit on the Navy SEALs and everybody's pissed off at him. So when you were writing your book, what was that like? Cause I'm sure you had friends that you're with and you're like, are they, should you be writing a book now while you're still in, you know? So what was that like? Uh, so you're, you're right. I did get those questions. Um, and, and, you know, I, I jokingly would say to them, yeah, all it takes is the right level of apathy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're reading the book. I'm not super derogatory towards the military or anything like that, but I do, I do talk about the leadership challenges and constraints and myopic views and those type of things. But that's inherent to any business. That's inherent to any. That, I mean, that's just if we're being honest, that's everywhere, right? And so that's a matter of how do you deal with that. Now, yeah, maybe I should have waited. <laughs> But, but at the same time, I, I, I got to a point, I'll say this in 2015, I had like a fork in the road. Am I going to be a single father who's has time for his son? Or am I going to pursue the continued climbing ladder of the military? Right. 
and I'm I'm a single dad, a solo dad. It's just me that really. I mean, he has a mom, but he hasn't seen her since last December, and he doesn't see her that often. So, um, so that that that, that decision for me was pretty easy. I said, oh, okay, I have a skill set. I've learned by being a pilot and doing these things. Um, I'm going to focus on that and this other ladder that guys are worried about. I wasn't worried about. <laughs> so, so it kind of. It kind of helps when you don't worry about that because what are they going to do? You know, so uh, I feel like the book has merit. I feel like it, it it can stand on its own. And if they try to give me hell for it, I don't care. <laughs> so do, do they call you Hollywood or do, do you ever get any, you know, guys jumping no. your balls, you know, talking about you? Hey, Hollywood, you're now you're big time. No, no, honestly, I haven't got anything but good, honestly, good feedback. Because a lot of guys have bought and read the book and they're like, oh, I didn't know you did all this. I didn't know this this stuff. You know, they knew some of it. But, you know, it's not, it, you don't give everybody your life story when you're around them. You know, you don't, that's not, and that's not my life story. That's just, you know, but I, I do have to be, I do open up in that book a little bit and have to be a little bit vulnerable in order to teach the lessons. Yep. And there's things that, that I, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the, the principles we talked about too, is, is, uh, don't let your wounds, uh, you know, you got to open up your wounds, you let them heal. Like you have to share, you have to communicate now in a healthy way. Right. Um, I was already in a healthy space. So sharing it on this stage wasn't detrimental to me. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to go out there and put their everything out there. You gotta, you gotta incrementally get to a place where, where you you're doing that and 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 you can handle whatever comes back at you. Right? Well, I I did it the total opposite way because uh, I had lunch with Gary Vaynerchuk and and he's like, you know what? Just put all your sh dirty shit you've ever done, writing in a book and put it out. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, because you have such a story to tell. You know, coming back from drug addiction, alcoholism, homelessness, PTSD, traumatic brain injury, blindness. He's like, you've been through all this shit, so put it out. And then yeah. when, I, when I put the book out, it hit number one twice. Um, when I put it out, people were like, well, I never knew that about you. I was like, yeah, because sometimes I had to keep a lot of stuff close to the vest, especially if I'm leading other men. I didn't want them to know what I'm dealing with. Right. I'm more worried about getting them home than worrying about my shit. I'll deal with my shit later. So like when I put it out, um, that's when I just put everything out on the table for for whoever to read, and it's gotten great great uh, feedback. But I want to first. I want to thank our. I want to get deep into PTSG real quick. Um, I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, I did 23 years in the military. I love pre workouts. I love coffee, but they all tasted like ass. So <laughs> I came out with our own vertical momentum coffee. They're all. It's actually veteran hand roasted. It's 100 um, percent of the proceeds go to help veterans with a company called Project Die Hard. They're actually putting it together where we're going to allow uh, 12 veterans and two families to come live rent free for a whole year. They're going to be able to get fed, get all the medical, psychological help, everything that they need for a whole year for nothing. So if you guys love coffee. If you want to help save a veteran's life and a, a veteran's family, a lot of times we talk about the veteran, but we don't really 
talk about helping the veterans' families. So this Project Die Hard is actually going to take in two whole families, no matter how many kids they got, and we're going to feed them and take care of them. So if you guys love coffee, just write coffee down below. And guys, also, if you are a man of faith like I am, um, there's a company, a brand new group that we just started called Operation Life. It's called Phoenix, the Phoenix Club. It's for men that are veterans, that are um, Christians, that want to start businesses. They want to build their, their storehouses in heaven and here. So if you guys are interested in, in something like that, just write uh, Operation uh, down below. So now let me ask you a question. Um, now I want to get into PTSD versus PTSD. Because um, when somebody somebody reads your cover, um, and one thing that really hit me when I first read it was, I like how you talk about we can minimize PTSD. And I think a lot of it is can be done before we even go to war. So let's let's talk about that. Let's dig a little bit deep into your into your theories on PTSD and PTSG. So originally, uh, Richard, my that was my intent. When I when I when I decided to write the book, I was like, there's so much, we have so much stuff out there about post, 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 post. And, and I, and I was like, I don't know that I need to jump into that space at all because there's so much out there, but we didn't have tons about pre, pre, pre. Right. Um, and, and so that was my intent right from the start was I want to prepare minds to, to, and we're going to have trauma, right? I can't get rid of the trauma. You can't, Say that's not going to happen because even outside of the military, trauma is very real, right? And in fact, in the book, you'll 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 see, I'm doing things that mo a lot of people would be like, that's a very traumatic event, and it was, but I was prepared for it. And then what really kind of hit me more than that was the back home life that you were talking about just now that my guys didn't know about because I I had to focus on what we were doing, right? And that was actually, in many ways, much more traumatic, much more impactful than than the stuff that, you know, blowing people up, which a lot of people be like, well, how can that be? Well, it, it all depends on how you're prepared, right? It all depends on how your mind is prepared. And when I came back and I, and, and, you know, I saw my peers even while I was there and, and then as, you know, time rooted and things marinated in, in individuals, how how it was manifest in their lives. Some guys, obviously it was a growth opportunity. They came out stronger and better leaders for it. And, and, and I felt like I fell in that category for the most part. And then uh, other guys, you know, it was in be, you know, kind of nebulous. And then even other guys, you know, like we said, it goes all the way to the other end of the spectrum where people will, are willing to take their own life. So same stimulus, vastly different responses to it. So that's where I was like, why? Why did I come through this and be okay? And some of these other guys and other guys are way on the other end of the spectrum. And so then I got to guy started talking to a lot of guys with letters behind their names. You know, those guys that spend a lot more time in college than most of us want to. And, uh, and asked them, I said, what's the deal? And so we really did a deep dive into me because that's the only thing I knew was me and my experience. And what was I doing? Um, that maybe prepared myself to grow from those experiences versus be de derailed by them. 
Um, and there were things that were teachable. There were, we, we found things that were, that you could teach other people. Now there's things that aren't teachable. Like if you come from a nuclear family that, or not, I can't change that. If, if you had, um, past trauma as a kid or, or suffered abuse of some sort, I can't change that. Right. And, and those are, those are obviously uglies that you've been in and probably have stuck to you to some degree and, and change the lens at which you look at future traumas as well. Right. So those are all factors. But what we talked about were things that I can teach you. Right. And one of the things that um, I talk about in the book that I think people that listen today can take away and immediately start using is is, is something I call chair flying. Right. And chair flying is is really meditation meets visualization meets role play put together, uh, wrap it all in one one bow and and I was doing it for, for the physical act of emergency procedures or engaging the enemy. I was doing it for those reasons, not to prepare my mind for trauma, but I was doing it like, hey, if my engine gets shot out and what am I going to do? And, and really the way, the way it goes is the first piece is the meditation piece. And for me, that's, that's breathing exercises. I do breathing exercises. Now, other people are going to do yoga. Other people are going to, it's as individual as fingerprints. You find something that puts your mind in a place that you know you have control of. You have control of the, of the, of the space, right? Because what I call it is fertilizing your garden. You're going to plant some stuff in your brain right now and you want it to grow. You want it to take root and you want it to be powerful. So fertilize your garden with meditation and whatever that is. For me, it was breathing exercises. Then I would go into the visualization process of it and if it was like if it was you know an engine getting shot out i would be like okay what am i going to see i'm going to see this first i'm going to see that first and then i'm going to do this you know and if i i don't know did i send you the video of the gun video where yep. my, my co-pilot got shot yeah so you can hear in in that video him screaming right right from the start he's screaming and you know what happened you can he i mean he says it i got shot right um and then, but in that video, you probably think, well, that's, that's crazy. And that's the first priority is to figure out what happened to him. N not true. It was the third priority. He was the third most important thing that had to be dealt with at that point. And the only reason I knew that was through preparation, through chair flying, through visualization. If you listen in that video, it's him screaming, but in the background, you'll hear this little rotor RPM low, <laughs> you know, and so that's a bigger deal in the helicopter at that moment. That's what needs to be dealt with immediately because rotor is what keeps us uppy. And when it goes down, we go downy, right? And that's bad. <laughs> and so that's what I had to get cue off of really quick. And really my rotor was slowing down because my engine was shot out. I have two engines, one was shot out. And at the same time he got hit. So I have to slam the control down in my left hand counterintuitively that makes you go down you're falling because the rotor's slowing down and you have to slam it down to keep, it basically increases the rush through the system of the induced flow that, so anyway, there's aerodynamics involved, but it's counterintuitive, right? You have to slam that, that control down. The only way you do that, the only way you're going to do that in that situation is if you've practiced it both mentally and physically at different levels, which I had at that point. The other problem that takes precedence over my co-pilot's leg being shot and what happened is his femur was shattered and, and it popped his leg up on nearly, I mean, a big, 
not blown off, but it was close. His leg came up, wrapped around the cyclic, which is the control in my between my legs. So that's the second thing is I didn't know that, but my control is jammed because of it. So I need to adjust my controls to keep us from crashing, but they're jammed because his legs wrapped around it. So in the Apache helicopter, there's a, a backups control system where you break the mechanical linkage by moving it quickly against it. And then it goes into a backup control system, which is a, a fly-by-wire. And it's very sloppy. It's very, it's almost like if your hydraulics kind of went out in your car, it'd be difficult to, you can still drive it, but it's not as easy. And, and so I did that. And of course he screams because, because his legs wrapped around it. Um, all this is happening in like one or two seconds, right? If you watch the video, it's very quick. And then drop the collective, slam the cyclic over. Now talk to my co-pilot and see where his leg, what's going on, all that kind of stuff. Okay. The only reason I share that story is that's a lot of things that happen in a short amount of time. And the only way that they would happen is if they're reactive, not thought processes, right? And the only reason, the only way that they were reactive is because I'd done this chair flying where I visualized you get, you start thinking about that emergency procedure and you get to a point where, where you'd have to think and you decide then in the chair flying process and the visualization process, what you would actually do. And then you start over and you go through that until you go through that really smoothly without thinking. And then you're going to hit another point of resistance and you're going to do the same thing. And then you're going to back up and go from the start until you got all the way through that. Until you just do it over and over again until you get all the way through the whole the whole sequence. And then you start throwing variables in there, right? You start throwing contingencies. What if this doesn't happen like I think it's going to happen? And, and you get down to the minutia, like, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to talk calmly, which you heard in that video. I was talking pretty calmly, but my heart was probably playing, I don't know, fly the bumblebee. I don't know. But like, but but I I'd cheerful on that. I'm going to stay calm because that's what the situation needs. It needs me to talk calmly. It needs me to be in charge. And, and those are all things that were done through the chair flying. And then the role playing part of it is actually you're physically moving your hands and feet with the controls to, to, to wire those neural receptors to, to they, they, you know, athletes, we hear it. Oh, the athlete, the, the game slowed down for him and slow down for him. He's just run through those things in his head and his physically, his physical, uh, movements so many times that he literally knows what's coming before it comes he can feel it he can sense it he can react to it before it even i mean just the inkling of the hey this is going to happen he already knows what to do right so that the game isn't slowing down he's just part of the game right instead of the game being something that he's he's like what uh, being i mean he's he's infused in the game so we do that role play part of it and then you and then you get through it now, I was doing that for these type of reasons, to get through emergency procedures, to do these kind of things and not die. That's why I was doing the chair flying. When I get back and I talk to the people with the three letters behind their names, they say, you were also doing something called stress inoculation. And I was like, okay, what's stress inoculation? I know what an inoculation is, right? That's a weakened dose of some sort of illness that we give ourselves, our body reacts to it. And then when the real thing comes, we can beat our chest and say, go away, not today, right? not too different to that i was picturing blowing people up before i had to blow people up and how that would look and how that would feel no did i get it exactly right when i pictured it nope i didn't you know but did it prepare my mind for that act did it prepare my mind for seeing that type of thing to where when it the real thing hit that it maybe it maybe 
creased my brain, but didn't give me scar tissue. Or maybe it didn't, maybe it did give me a little scar tissue, but it didn't do significant damage. I call it the art of a Teflon brain. You know, stuff comes, but it doesn't stick. Um, that's what it did. That's what chair flying did. Now we can apply that in our daily lives, any every day. In fact, I do. Like, I, I just I want to go because I, I I got a traumatic brain injury and I write stuff down. So if I if I forget, I'm gonna forget. I'll never ask. Um, talking about pre because um, talking about what? Talking about you know pre you know instead of post traumatic oh. pre. You yes. know, I think it. I can I can't remember like I did 23 years and I've done many after action reviews and I don't think one time we ever mentioned the feelings that went on afterwards mm. in 23 years. So I, and I've never thought about that until having this discussion with you, how much that would help when, after we have an extra action review, even during training, you know, then we start talking about the mental, you know, how did that feel? You know, I think like you said, you you start to build up that, I don't remember what you called it, but I think that would be so so helpful today's in today's military what do you think i agree i mean that's part of that sharing part we did a lot of aars and i'm sitting here trying to think while you're saying that how often did we how often did we say how how were you feeling in that moment how how did that how are you feeling now about that moment um i can't remember it i don't i don't think that we there's one there's one incident I do remember that was very intense and, and it was, and if, if we did not act as a team in congruence with ex- expediency and immediacy, both of us would have taken dirt naps. Um, and I remember talking with the other pilot on that one and thanking him and saying how I felt for what he, for what he had done. It was more what I felt for what he had done rather than how I felt in the moment and how those things were happening. But there was there was a talk about because we we actually fought the this we we got stuck in an air ambush where we were taking effective fire from every direction you could come up with with recoilless rifles, RPGs, um, HMGs, and tons of just AK-47s, PKMs. It, it was ridiculous. We were in this kill box with the best fighters in Afghanistan had been basically pushed into one spot. We knew that, and then we experienced that, right? And they should have won. They should have won because we fought it wrong. We stayed in the kill box. We fought from the kill box out. The only reason that we came out of that victorious is because we had each other's back with aggressive vent. I mean, with with prejudice. I mean, it was very quickly, very directive, very, very team oriented. And and we could have come out of that and patted ourselves on the back in the AAR and said we kicked butt because we did. But we did it the wrong way. And, and, and we did. We pointed that out. Sometimes in victory, we also need to go and say, did we do it right? Um, because we did it the wrong way. But we also did have that conversation um, with me and the other pilot about, dude, did you ever think about breaking contact and getting outside the kill box? And, uh, and he's like, no, man, I was there trying to make sure you didn't get shot down. And I was like, man, I was there trying to make sure you didn't get shot down. That's all I was thinking about because it was coming from everywhere. And uh, and that was powerful, but we did it wrong, right? And there, we did talk about feelings, and maybe that's one of the thing, one of the reasons that that one is so impactful for me, is we kind of 
took another layer off of that during the AAR. All right. So now let me ask, because, you know, one of my friends, um, he lost his son in extortion 17. Uh, we all know what happened in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and now a lot of soldiers, you know, we could take, you know, maybe taking a bullet, you know, we can take getting fucked up a little bit, but when we lose somebody and that's survivor's guilt, I don't care what anybody says. That's a motherfucker. And a lot of guys and girls, when they get home, you know, they, they start thinking about that stuff. So how do you kind of work your way through something like survivor's guilt? Well, that's a really good question. And honestly, um, it's, it's, I'm going to say something that's going to oversimplify it because it isn't simple. Right. Um, but it's a big part of just acceptance of what the situation that you were put into, you know, going into the situations that you don't have control of it. You don't have control of the whole situation. You have control of what you can do and you're human. So even in control of what you can do, you're going to make mistakes. And if you tear apart any action, any, any engagement, any situation, any scenario, even, even the successful ones, we just talked about it, AARs, we have successful uh, situations where we did, we did stuff wrong, anyone we did wrong. But when we survive, we go back with a microscope and say, man, I could have done this different. Oh, I should have done that different. Oh, I could have done this different. And we let that fester. And once again, you cannot let wounds fester because that will start to gain its own momentum and just start to rot you from the inside out. That is true of your wins too. Like you could have always done something different, right? That is inconsequential. The results are the results. What happened, happened. How you reacted, what you did was what you did. Simple as that. It's what you did, right? It's inconsequential because the, the, the successes, you made mistakes too, right? Are you going to go back and say, I should have changed all these things on the successes too? Maybe you wouldn't have been successful even on because of your mistakes. It's, it's inconsequential. You did what you did. Now, I get this though because when my co-pilot got his leg blown up and he, he, he did survive that incident, but he has since passed. Right. Um, Due to there was some complications from that. It took years. But because of that, he did pass and he's younger than me. And so when that when that when he took that round and I I pulled him out of the cockpit because the the emergency, the emergency medical staff was on the wrong side of the runway, you know, and he needed to get out. So I pulled him out and I got him out of the out of the cockpit seat. And, and just then they rolled up and they, and they came out and we started to lay him back. And as we pulled him out, his leg, his leg wound, I swear it paused right in front of my face. It probably didn't, but it felt like it did. It was just this huge hole with twitching muscles and blood and everything. And it was very impactful because I'd chair flown me getting wounded. I'd chair flown both of us getting wounded. I had never chair flown just my co-pilot getting wounded. And that's because of that survival. We avoid that. We avoid the thought that our actions may cause that type of situation. And I say that loosely. My actions didn't, my actions did cause that, but but it is what it is. We were doing, we were doing the mission, right? And you can second guess that all you want, but that's just the reality that war is ugly. And when it paused there, and he 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 was a jokester. And we were kind of joking on the flight back home, even, even with him in excruciating pain, he was thrown out. 
some little one-liners that are very quotable and pretty funny. But as he saw me stare at that wound, and I know he did this in jest. I know he did it in jest because I know who he is, and I even saw the smile and smirk on his face. But he said something that carried with it so much impact that it took seven years to release the weight that it put on my shoulder, seven or eight years. I don't remember exactly. He said, you got me shot. Right? He was joking. He was joking. But it took him posting something on Facebook, I think it was eight years later, about that day and saying how grateful he was that I did what I did so that he could be where he is and experiencing what he's experiencing for that weight to be lifted that I didn't even know I was carrying. And the only reason I was carrying it was because of that survivor's gun. I mean, and he, he wasn't, he didn't pass, but it was, I did, well, I could have done this. I could have carried more airspeed. I could have done all those things. And then when he passed, I felt all that stuff come back again. And all that stuff come back. Like I could have done this. I could, and I stopped myself and said, Nope, you did what you did because you were in an ugly situation. There is no way to go back and change that. That needs to be filed where it needs to be filed. And that's that's honestly, like you ask that question, it is a complicated question, but but acceptance of the situation, the ugliness of what it is, and you're inconsequential. I mean, you're inconsequential, to be honest. It sounds terrible, but you're doing your best and sometimes and you're making mistakes whether you guys are winning or losing. Yeah. But I think, you know, like I did a keynote last week. Um, these are the things that need to be talked about because they're not really being talked about They're, You know, everybody's talking about mental health. You know, they're talking about PTSD, but they're not talking about the issues that are causing it. And then how, how do we work through them? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Um, most of us, like for me, I didn't get a chance to end my career the way I wanted. I wanted to do, end up doing 30, but I got hurt on duty and lost my vision you can't see, you can't shoot. We don't need you. So that was the day that I attempted suicide. Um, but thank God it didn't happen. Um, so talk to us about, okay, you know, you're getting out. Um, you know, you have another, something else is on the horizon. So you kind of like have one foot in the military and one foot out. So when you're talking to people and they say, you know, well, I'm about to get out. Um, how far before a person gets out should they start planning for their exit? Because I don't care if you're uh, a Navy SEAL, whether if you're a police officer, a football player, baseball player, we all have a shelf life. And you don't see 80-year-old soldiers, you know. So talk to us about, you know, when, it's, when a soldier's career starts winding down, how far ahead and what should they do to start getting ready for the next thing? So I'll just go out on a limb and say, whoever's listening, you're behind. Start now. I started in 2002. I, I've been doing real estate and other things on the sides in 2002 because you don't know when your shelf life is going, is going to come up. You, you didn't know you were going to lose your vision. No. You know, you didn't know that. And so I, I say start now. Find something that, that you enjoy and start becoming a specialist in that area. Um, maybe it's 20 years before you actually put it into practice. You're just going to be that much better at it when you get there. Right. Or maybe it's one year because you lose your vision, you know, M maybe that's, that's it. But, but Richard, if you had something like that, that you were working on, 
and you lost your vision and you said you can't do the military, how do you think that would have changed your where you would have been? No, oh, I, 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 for me, I kind of, um, I believe that I am where I am because that's where God wants me to be. But I should have prepared a little bit more. Um, I would have been in a much better place. But for me, I don't think I'd be the man that I am today because I wouldn't be able to talk to people like you. I wouldn't. I would have took another journey in my. I'm like, I would have been somewhere else. But I think, like you said, um, I wish I would have had my my financial house in order. You know, I wish I would have had that money, some money sitting away, or like you said, you know, even starting a real estate business or or doing something on the side and learn how to become an entrepreneur. Right. And I agree with you. I agree with your perspective 100 percent. You're looking back at your darkest time and your obstacle and you are using that as as a catalyst for who you are. And I, that I, I can I can't agree with that more. Um, but I, but just saying for everybody, we don't we don't plan those pieces. They just happen. Yeah. They just happen. Right. We, we what we can control is preparing ourselves for for whatever the case may be. And I love that perspective, though. I, I love that you see it that way because that is what I'm trying to get people to see is no matter what obstacle trial or, or whatever you want to call it that's in your path, it really is an opportunity. It really is an opportunity. But you have to choose to see that. It's happening for you, not to you. And, you know, that's something that I always say, you know, there's when you change your, your have to to get to, your, your whole perspective on life changes. You know, if you get to take out, if you have to take out the garbage, say, listen, I get to take out the garbage. I it becomes walk. really a lot easier to see the mountains. Yeah. When, when, when that's your perspective. All right. So now we also have people that listen to us or, or a lot of them become veterans or veteran entrepreneurs when they get out. Because mm-hmm. obviously, honestly, veterans do not have the same work ethic as the people out on the streets. And, you know, like military, we're, we train until the mission is complete mm-hmm. here. You know, we get out and you're at, at the water cooler by nine o'clock and then lunch, then you have lunch and then four o'clock you're on your way home and there's still work to be done. And the veterans like, wait a minute, we still got shit to do. So talk to us about the um, how, you know, writing a book, you have to be an entrepreneur if you write a book because then you got to get it published and you got to get it promoted. So talk about your foray into public publicizing your book and getting it out there and also being an entrepreneur and get into getting it to be in people's hands. Yeah. I mean, this is a new Avenue for me. I mean, like the real estate and, and some other businesses that I have that I've, I've worked on, those are like entrepreneurial areas where I was comfortable. You know, I, I, I've, like I've been flipping homes since, like I said, since 2002 and then I became an agent and I become and I and we've 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 parlayed that into some other opportunities as well. But but this part, writing a book and publishing a book and then, you know, marketing a book, all that. I'm still building the plane as I fly on this one. I'm not going to lie. Like it, it, it's such a different animal. But what a, what an exciting adventure, because it's so it's such a big departure from anything that I've ever done that, that it's exciting around every corner. Um, is it good? I don't even know if it's going to be lucrative or not. You, I mean, you're an author. I mean, so people think that authors make tons and tons of money. Uh, you don't off the book. We'll just say that. 
Uh, now, now I do hope to build a curriculum from this book and, and I do help because that's where we're going to make impact on people's lives yeah. is really, uh, building the curriculum and, and having a container where we can actually train people. Um, that's the intent. That's where I'm going with this thing. Um, public speaking and those kind of things, obviously, uh, impact people as well. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm looking at those realms as well, but yeah, to answer your question, it's been exciting. How successful has it been? It's been immensely successful. If you say, has it changed anybody's lives? I, I've had several people say that it's absolutely changed their lives. And so the success is done, right? It's affected me. So, it, so I just, you know, and that's the measure, that's the measuring stick I care about with this book. Right? Yep. There's other things I do to, to make sure I put food on my table, <laughs> but, but that's the measuring stick and that measuring stick keeps coming back and saying, yes, it's good. So everything is gravy going forward with, with this thing, but it has been fun. I get to talk with guys like you that have your own amazing story. Uh, it's just, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not. Yeah, but it, but, You know, I tell everybody, I think everybody has a story and everybody should write a book. Um, but the best thing about writing a book, like you said, most people, it takes forever to make your money back on, on yeah. it costs so much for editing, so much, so much money you go, it puts into it. But, you know, the word author is short for the word authority. So now someone asks, well, you know, so Colonel, what do you know about PTSD? You could say, I literally, I wrote the book. <laughs> so, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say? So. A lot of people like with me, they'll say, well, what do you know about addiction? Well, I literally wrote the book, you know, so it, it's kind of like even though if it's it's not a moneymaker, but if it's changing lives and it gives you a little bit of authority, because once you get published, that means you know what you're talking about. You're just not some Joe Schmo from Idaho, you know, writing a stupid book. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, one interesting interview I did with the two PhDs, you know, in psychology. And the guy was talking to me and he goes, and he was talking to the audience and he goes, you know, we have these letters behind our names, but this guy's gone and experienced the situations that we study about. There is no greater credibility than that, right? That, that is where you can gain the best credibility. There's, he said, there's two ways you gain your credibility. You, you study it or you live it, right? And when you live it, it's arguably the better credibility if you come out of it with lessons learned. So that was powerful to me because I was like, because, you know, you have this, uh, you know, you all, you question yourself. Hey, yeah. Am I qualified to do this? You know, am I qualified to do that? And he's like, you are more than qualified, my friend. I just read it in a book. You actually went and did it. So, yeah. And I think a lot of us, you know, we have we struggle with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like, well, because like my wife, she knows me for me. Um, you know, she, she's heard my story a thousand times. It's no big deal. You know, it's just like, it's just him, you know? Um, uh, but a lot of people, like when we, if we put our stories out there, they're like, holy shit, they really went through, through all that. So, you know, I think that, like you said, you know, if a veteran is struggling, like for, for instance, um, I've, I'm no professional whatsoever in anything. I'm a high school dropout in ninth grade, but I've read over 6,000 books and I've read, interviewed over 500 people like yourself that are way above me. Um, but I found that when an adult acts out, it's usually because of trauma from the ages of three to 13. 
then you add alcohol to the mix, not all the time, and then you add water to the mix, it comes the perfect storm. And nobody can get you out of the perfect storm unless they've been there. And a person like you can reach your hand down, pull them up and say, you know what? I've been there. I got your back. I'll take the, I'll take the arrows for you until you can get healthy again. So I, I totally commend on commend you on, on what you're doing. And I think more veterans are willing to open up to other veterans. You know, they're instead of they're just, you know, somebody graduates from a college and they got a bunch of letters behind their name. I'm not going to open up to them. But if me and you were at Denny's and you were like, hey, bro, you know, I, I, I raised my hand. How are you doing today? And then I give you the, the regular answer. I'm good. Then you ask me again, how yeah. are you really doing? I think I'd be much more willing to open up to you just because I know we've both been there. Even if we're totally different, you know, Air Force, Army, as long as we know we raised our right hand, we're willing to open up and talk. Do you have you you feel that also? hundred percent. And I always do ask that second question. I was like, I get that you're good. Now define to me what good is. Right. We're all good. Right. But what's good? Tell me, tell me, tell me how you're doing. You know. All right. So now let me ask you a question, because I had somebody that um, he does all the work for Gary Vaynerchuk and Tony Robbins. I said, why do people keep showing up to all these events Every year, year after year, you see the same people. And he said, because only 3% of people are going to put their work into action. So what makes this book a workbook where somebody can actually, like for me, I've actually gone through, I'm outlining it, I'm dog-earing it. So, because I'm actually using this as a workbook. So is what made you want to write this as a workbook? Well, honestly, that's, I, I love that question. There's a lot of reasons. It's a complicated reason, but I'll just give this as as probably the answer. I I didn't get so one of the one of the awards that you told me about that you you said at the beginning was the Distinguished Flying Cross, and I didn't receive that decoration until eight years after the event, um, and it was due to a leader who saw the video and said, "What did you get for that?" And I said, "Well, they put this in, but I was attached to 82nd, and it just kind of got lost." And he's like, "Oh, I'm going to fix that," and I'm like, "No, nah, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal," but because of the latency. And the way that the regulations are written, it had to go through a senator in order for it to get to get um, presented. And I was, and even once again, I was like, yeah, if we're going to go there, that, let's just not worry about it. It's not that big a deal. Um, and and so these two, this leader that I had and the leaders that I had when it happened got together and they really made sure that that happened. And and then. I had it presented by the late Senator Orrin Hatch at a halftime show of a NBA basketball game, which, of course, when you got a senator involved, it's got to be a big show, right? So that that's kind of I was I had very mixed very mixed emotions on whether I wanted to do that or not. Um, but when I went out, I'd been there for the first half, and the it was at Utah Jazz, and the Utah Jazz had been winning, so there had been a lot of cheering up until that point. And when we went out there and they started to read the citation, everybody stood and they just were screaming and clapping. And it was, I could, it was deafening. I couldn't hear the citation and they didn't know who I was. They didn't know 
They didn't, all they knew is something significant happened that they can't really fathom. And they are grateful for what I represented as a military person. That's what they were grateful for. And what that hit me at that point was that the experiences that I had that were intense and crazy had power. They had power to affect large amounts of people and to positively affect large amounts of people. And at that point, I felt like I needed to do something. I didn't know book. I didn't know whatever. And honestly, book, like I said, book is just phase one. I have other plans to try to help people get this message a lot, a lot more uh, digested. But that people have been telling me I should write a book from the moment a lot. I mean, since even before this deployment, because I've had a crazy background and I've had crazy stuff happen since then, too, in the combat search and rescue world. But but like, you know, just certain it seems like certain people, that's just what they're calling in life is to have these extreme experiences. And and it seemed wasted if those lessons were just for me. And so I wanted to write a book that somebody could read and say, this is an awesome war story and be entertained. But insidiously, I'm throwing lessons in there the whole time. I'm throwing lessons in there the whole time because it was a real life experience, but it was a real life experience that happened for a reason, not just for me. And I don't think it happened just for me. I really don't. Um, and toward when you get to the end of the book, there's more instruction, but the book is not overly didactic. I mean, I mean, it's not like an instruction manual unless you're reading it, like looking for that and then you'll see it. Right. And if you are, you'll see it. And you'll like you'll do what Richard's saying. You'll highlight. I've had somebody call me yesterday, out of the blue. Don't even never met her before, and she's like, "I want to help you with your book. I read it, and your book is a how-to on life." And I, I was like, "Well, that's not exactly what I was going for, but I'm so glad that you took it that way, you know." And she's like, "It really is." She's like, "It's so impactful. I want to do these things," and so. That's when I when I get those calls. That's when the goosebumps happen, and that's when I say it's successful already. Um, but but really, that's why I wrote it. Because I because I had these experiences. They're not just for me. They're not just for me. That's just selfish. And for me, it's a game changer, especially um, talking. You know, PTSD, which a lot of people I think are starting to finally realize that there's post traumatic growth. It doesn't. Your growth doesn't have to be stunted by a disorder and it can you know, be accelerated yeah you're, you're growth that's a superpower it's just a matter of putting the energy in the right direction oh i love it so now last question well i got two questions because um because it's you i'm gonna ask two different questions oh no <laughs> uh oh yep now the pressure's on um how do i put this um for the first question is going to be how do we find your book you know, how, how do we support your mission? And then the last question is going to be, um, we live in a crazy world uh, right now. I guess everything's starting to go back. Some places are starting to go back on lockdown because of COVID. Um, so, and we, we live in a busy world. So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more than likely to do it. So if there's somebody watching this right now that is struggling with their mental health, 
what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to get some help so they don't eat their gun before Christmas? Something they can do right now is this is what I always I say gratitude and and anger, gratitude and hate, gratitude in hopelessness, gratitude in you pick a negative word, they can't exist on the same plane. If you really start focusing on what you're grateful for, and I get that sometimes when you are deep in the gunfight, you that's why you're at that point. You can't find what you're grateful for, right? But I challenge people to look backwards at their gains and identify where their gains have been, right? Because your life hasn't there hasn't been a hundred percent. Even though you're looking forward and you're only seeing the gunfight, if you look backwards, you'll be able to see and really focus on what some of the gains are. You'll be able to identify those and be grateful for them, right? And when you start doing that it'll be easier to transition that to the current present and even to the future. Right. And one guy said to me one time, and I love how he, he said this, he's like each day, you know, try to try to find something that's grateful. And he, I would say in this, and he said, well, yeah, even if it's something as simple as the sun coming up. And I was like, you call that simple. What if it didn't, you know, we have so much to be grateful for. Sometimes I get it. You're in the gunfight. But if you focus on gratitude, and you know who really told, who drove this in this lesson home to me was my, he's 10 years old now, but he's, he's six when he, when he shared this story with me. We do this thing called grateful, and it does need to become a habit in everybody's life. And this is something you can do right now. Like you said, right now you can do this. Start focusing and being grateful. But we do this thing called grateful, and you have to come up with three things that you're grateful for and why, right? Every day, and they can't they can't duplicate, like every day. So we do this on the way to school, and this was during Black History Month, and my son is adopted. He is African-American, so he, he basically said he said he said hey you heard of martin luther king and i'm like yeah i've heard of him <laughs> you know and he goes you know that he's a kind of he was kind of an important guy yep sure was changed the world and i said yep you did you know he gave a speech yep heard of it because i kind of listened to it I said absolutely so we put it on there you know and on the on the youtube while we're driving and he's listening to it listens to it intently intently asked to listen to it the second time i said sure you can listen to it the second time he listens to it intently and then he says buddy can we do grateful now I said, sure, we can do grateful. And I kind of know where he's going with this, right? I, don't know, I see where he's going. And he goes, I'm grateful for Martin Luther King. Yep, that's what I thought he was going to say. But the next statement, the why he was grateful for Martin Luther King, I did not anticipate. And I said, why are you grateful for Martin Luther King? And he said, because of what he did, I can be your son. This is a six-year-old. And I got, I teared up. <laughs> I, I, I fight it every time when I share this too. And, and I said, thank you, buddy. Because you just increased my gratitude for that man. And made it personal for me. Because of what he did. You can be my son. And you, that's what people can do right now is they can list their gratitude and 
then attach it to their why and let that grow. And your hopelessness and your anger and those kind of things cannot exist on that same plane. You know, and I love that. Like my friend David Melcher was on the show. If you guys ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire, they actually wrote the movie about him. And he said that, like you were saying, you know, gratitude and anger cannot occupy the same space. No. And for me, I do exactly what you you do every night before I go to bed. I say three things that I'm grateful for. I pray for my wife. And then when I wake up in the morning, if I open when I open my eyes, if I can see something, um, I'm, I say, Lord, it's going to be a great day. I can see something. I'm so grateful. And when you wake when you wake up with gratitude and go to bed with gratitude, your whole day is uh, is magical. And by the way. If they say there's no God, God spoke through your little boy to you to, to heal to heal you some stuff. So I think that's truly amazing. Brother, I'm so grateful. Um, where can we get this amazing book? Um, you can get it on Amazon. You know, Cleared Hot is the title. And I, get, I picked that title with, with intent. It's a directive that means you've met all the criteria to move forth with purpose in this, you know, in the military with lethal force, but in your life, that's what it's for. Meet the intent, move forth with pers- purpose, Amazon cleared hot. Um, and then I have a, a website, www.clearedhot.info. And I believe you're going to put the links on this too, right? Yep. So people yep. can link it. And then all of my, my social medias as well. So you can go get it at those two places, either the website or Amazon, and then follow me on the other stuff. Cause we'll put out more stuff, more content on, on, on these things. But, uh, but yeah, go get it. Get it for somebody for Christmas. I mean, Christmas is around the corner, you know. I, and I, also, I want you to thank Michael Hirsch for me. I would like to, you know, for eventually get in contact with him. But I want to say, you know, thank you for, you know, for you guys working as as a tag team and put amazing this- man, amazing. And there's we're talking about grateful. I'm so grateful for the guy. This would not have come out how it came out without him. I love it. So guys, make sure you get your copy cleared hot. I'm sure just the first channel. If you like. Any kind of military, if you like Rambo shit, this book is the first chapter is fire. So uh, you're not even to the hard part yet. Wait till I you get- know, but <laughs> we're gonna have you on for a second for the second time so we can go over the rest of the book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For uh, sure. Brother, I just want to say thank you so much. I'm truly humbled and grateful for your friendship. Thank you. And I I am grateful to be on here. And this is how we get word out. This is how we help people. And I'm grateful for that. I love it, guys. So make sure you pick up the book. Also, guys, like, as you know, my 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 three words are today I decide. You guys decide whether you want to be a victim or a victor or if you want to have post-traumatic stress disorder or if you want to have post-traumatic growth. It's all up to you. So today I decide. Make your decisions. Make sure you subscribe. Leave, leave a comment if this touched you because... That's that story about his son was the best thing about the whole interview. So that really touched me. And uh, brother, I just want to say thank you for everything. Thank you. All right, guys, we're going to run. I love you guys. And remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is up and I will catch you guys tomorrow. Have a great day. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, If you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out.
hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee. And, and it will it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives.